Hello, loverly. So, Gavin, I thought that we would play some Halo 4 together. It's very fitting. We've played a lot of Halo in our <laughs> lives. You know, you're actually the person who's played more Halo 2 than anybody else that I know. I played 4,500 games of Halo 2. That is unbelievable. Online. You seem to think Joel played more than you, though, right? I think he overtook me at the end. Nah. But uh, it would be what I did every day, every day after school. And also, then I'd stay up really late so I could play with you guys, because you would play at, like, one, in, one or two in the morning my time. At, at least one or two in the morning your time, because that Halo would have been two, seven our time. Yeah, Halo 2 is one of the main reasons I work here. I work for you. Halo 2 is? Yeah, it's how I first started talking to you guys. You know, I was doing a, uh, I was doing a podcast just recently for somebody else and talking about some of the early stuff for Red vs. Blue, yeah. and you showed up at the Lincoln Center premiere... It was a screening of season three, and then you showed the first episode of season four. So I think it, was, it wasn't your first Lincoln Center. Oh, had I met you in England before that, then? Yeah, you met me like four months earlier. I see. And that was when I watched Star Wars without you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my... Uh, okay, so here's what we're playing. We're going to play Ricochet, and I thought it'd be fun for us to play Ricochet because we're going to get to all this stuff. But you and I were bored about... Six years ago? 2007. Yeah. And we, uh, in December, and we made Griffball. Like, yeah, we, we were did. tooling around and made Griffball. And Ricochet, which just came out, this is perfect timing because Ricochet just came out for Halo 4, and it is the sports game type. I consider it to be like the spiritual successor yeah. to Griffball. Yeah, I wonder, this definitely wouldn't exist without Griffball, right? I don't know if you could say that, but I mean, it's. Uh, I'm going to say it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's. Uh, one of the things that made Griffball really take off was the fact that it wasn't an honor game where, you know, you had to discuss with people how the rules worked. It actually, the game handled all of the uh, scoring. Oh, I just totally blew up my mind. I love the pit. It was such a good map. There's actually an achievement right here for getting this. What's up, dicky bitch? Oh, look at that. It's almost <laughs> like I'm good at Halo. Um, so I'm going to try to show you here how to play eventually. Oh, what? We didn't play fucking Ricochet. We're playing Capture the Flag. Hmm. All right. Well, we're going to play Cash the Flag. <laughs> we're just playing Halo. But uh, in in Ricochet, they have a uh, an actual ball, which in Grip... Oh, you bitch. In, uh, in Grip Ball... This camping. <laughs> Here, you play since it's okay, Cash the Flag. Um, or fuck, quit out. What do we care? It's yeah. only our reputation. There you go. That's it. <laughs> I'd quit for you, but give Thanks. me the controller back. I couldn't actually bring myself to quit. But the reason we the reason you make Grip Ball is that Foundry just came out, which was the map in Halo 3, which was basically just a big open box, and you could fill it. So whatever you wanted. Over, and you made a PSA, right? That is exactly right. We So over the course of making Red vs. Blue, we always got asked, or it wasn't really asking, people were more so accusing us of having special treatment or that we would get things early. Never did. We never got anything early. We never got anything special. The one exception to that was after Halo 3 was out, and then we got into the DLC, this was the... What was the name of the map pack? Do you remember? Was it Heroic? It might have been. It wasn't, le yeah, it wasn't Legendary. I think it was, was Heroic, heroic Mac pack. Yeah. It was Heroic Legendary Mythic. I think this was the Heroic one. It had Foundry, which so it was yeah. supposed to be the Forge uh, DLC pack. It was supposed to be where people were really going to take advantage of Forge. Forge. So they if, made if, there was, if you wanted to recreate a map from an old game, you would do it in Foundry, because it would be just the, the easiest one to do it in. Big blank square, basically. Yeah. And we were given that a week and a half early... Ten days early, so that we can make this PSA to promote the map pack coming out. We did. We made a railgun yeah. of of. Man it was cannons. a man cannons, and you'd put in a ball, and it would. Or was it like a box, and it would shoot down a tunnel? 
It was like a column where it would shoot, we made it all the greats. We made like a, a rail gun where it would just fire that soccer ball and we were hitting yeah. Griff in the face with it. And sometimes it would kill him uh, if we shot it in the right way. <laughs> and uh, You don't capture the flag yet. I went back to my own game. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. Um, but uh, And then so we made that PSA probably in what, like a day? I don't know. I wasn't around for that. A, a day or two. And then, oh, so you showed up right after that. Well, what happened was is I spent the summer, in 2007, I spent the summer there. And I did all the conventions. I, I used to fly ahead of you guys and set up the conventions uh-huh. in various cities around the world. And I'd also help on uh, help on like commercials and stuff like that. I, I was reshooting season two at the time because you guys were re- in the process of remastering all the old Halo 1 episodes and reshooting them in Halo PC. So I was doing season two. But then I, but then I, I, could, I could only stay 90 days, so I had to leave. And it was in that time that that DLC pack came out. But we would we would often play over Xbox Live after I went home. Right, and so so, so you made that PSA, and then we were just screwing around in Foundry afterwards. And were you now when we made this? Then were you in the U.S. or were you at home when, when we were making this stuff? I was in the U.K. Really? I thought God, I could have sworn that you were yeah. like right there. So I would what do like maps and then send them to you for tests and that kind of stuff. Well, we were just we were just playing around in Forge because mm-hmm. the, I don't know if you remember this. I just might want to cut this. <laughs> Why? I don't, I don't know if you remember this, but the you were just making random funny map game types, and the one that you called Griffball was actually two turrets pointed at a dude, and they had to run and get a ball and run back. There was a lot of variations. Yeah. Of it. So, and it was funny because you know Griff was obviously going to die. He had right. two turrets aimed at him with like pretty much no cover. And then there was another game type you made called Rugby. I'm just fucking. I'm terrible at this. The guy killed me with a fucking boom shot. Unbelievable. Look at that. I'm just walking on top of this grenade like you a You made bitch. no effort to get out of the way of that. Uh, well, you know, things happen. And rugby was the, the one that eventually became Griffball. Right. And then we gave people hammers and all that stuff. Yeah. And the, uh, it, it, was, it was cool to test them out. I mean, originally it was just a wall uh, it, it, to separate off half a foundry because there was a, an area with, like, stairs and stuff that we didn't want to use. And it wasn't even that good of a wall. Yeah, like, we made a, it. Was, a lot of the times you would just fly over the wall. And instead of making a higher wall, we just put a teleport behind it so you could teleport back I'm into the, the main area. the worst Halo player ever. You could teleport back into the main area. But yeah. then uh, it, we... So basically, you came up with all these different game types. We took the name from a, a different game type and applied it to the game type you called Rugby. Right, because we there was a line in season four of Red vs. Blue yeah. where Sarge had some game called Griffball. But you never see it. He just says, he's sniping at Griff up on the cliff, and he says, this is the best game since Griffball. Like, right. you never know what Griffball was. It was just supposed to be some implied game that Sarge yeah. would play that would that would kill Griff as much as possible. And in, in original rugby, the, uh, the ball carrier turned bright yellow. And then the I, yellow I suggested to you, why don't we make this one... Griffball, and we make him turn into Griff when he picks up. Right, you the said ball. you said let's make the guy orange. Yeah. So he literally, you pick up the ball, you become Griff, and all of a sudden, everyone in the map is trying to kill you. I'm trying to think Halo might be impossible to play. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking while I'm talking. It's literally, I'm like, I, I, I'm torn between trying to concentrate on this and trying to concentrate on what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, and so, so I've always loved alternative sports games. Um, there was in the arcade, there was games like uh, Arch Rivals, which just came out on arcade. I'm really fucking terrible. I can't. I cannot play and talk. The um, here you play. Dude, dude, I'll play the next one. This is all you. This one. Why? 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 Because you don't want to be people confused with your skills versus my skills. <laughs> Maybe I'll just go into the defense. But uh, Arch Rivals, which just came out, and then there was another midway game called uh, Pigskin, uh, like 
21 or 621 AD. Uh, that's actually a very influential game for uh, Griff Ball because it was like a rugby style. God damn it. It was like a rugby style game. Um <laughs> God, everyone has Promethean Vision. I noticed that, too. Do you ever use that? I don't think I've ever used that in matchmaking. Everybody who uses shotguns uses Promethean Vision. That's basically the way it works. And these fuckers are still playing their goddamn capture the flag game. There's really 10 minutes left of this match. Um, Anyway, so I always wanted to make an alternative sports game. So I sat down when we got bored, uh, you know, in the time between when we finished the PSA and still had the DLC. I thought, I'm going to tool around and make some stuff. And I made a paintball game. I remember uh, that. That was just, um, it was just like lots of cover and pistols, wasn't it? And, and, and no shields. That's exactly right. And it was uh, one hit, one kill. Yeah. And it was only pistols. Did I get that bitch from the grave? No. But it was cool to see, once the community started getting involved, the game also improved. Because at first it was very, there were, there were a few honor rules. Like if you flew over the wall, you had to come back. Oh, right. We well, it was, all, it was all based on that. Like, the first wall was so yeah. chintzy that we, I remember we thought, well, this is just going to be a custom game. Why do we need a good wall? We'll just – people yeah. won't go over it. And it was the first thing everyone tried to do, <laughs> every game. But it wasn't always everyone's fault. With, a lot, with enough people swinging the hammer, you would get some serious air, and sometimes you would just be flung over the wall. Yeah, so, but then we'd tell people, just jump back over the wall if you, yeah, if you end and, up uh, out of bounds. And we also put a teleport behind there, and they would drop back down right in the dead center. Right. We also had a lot of stuff that improved over time. Like, originally – we, uh, we didn't realize that you could turn off the message. You could turn off the ability to pick up weapons. Because a, a lot of the time, I mean, back in Halo 3, you had to physically pick up the ball. It didn't just come in your hand like it does now. Yeah. You actually had to go over it and hold X to pick up the... Because it was a bomb. Right. But the, the play field was littered with swords and hammers. So you would constantly be picking up a hammer and picking up a sword when you wanted to be picking up the ball. So we eventually turned that... We eventually proved that and turned off the ability to pick up other weapons on the battlefield. That was another improvement we did. And then we had people make us better walls and stuff. I feel like That's with every... We first discovered Knockyard. Yeah, with every iteration of the wall, there was always a, a gap in it somewhere. Like, people would always find a way through. And eventually we... Someone... It probably Knockyard made the... The wall that was eventually used for the last Oh, he time. used, like, the... It was all smooth wall, yeah. you know, and it was... ours was... Ours was just junk. Like, ours was junk. <laughs> garbage. People would bang off it and get stuck in little bits that were sticking out. And so then Griffball, actually, one of the coolest things about it was that Griffball, the community embraced it. I think that's when we first started working with Caleb, too, because he was one of the commissioners for that. Yeah. And so was Jack Patillo. Uh, he was the second season commissioner, because we would run these leagues, and we would do that off the Griffball.com site. Yeah, and there would have to be someone who organized all the teams and got got the team captains to you know, play other teams at certain times and stuff like that. And, and keep I keep track of all the, the tables. Oh yeah, I think that uh I think that first experience we had with the wall, uh, where people would jump over the wall even though we fully expected them not to do that. Uh that was our first experience with competitive gaming and it went all downhill from there pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> what Promethean Vision again here. These fucking with shotgun and Promethean Vision. Um because what we learned was that very quickly we didn't want to be part of pro gaming. We didn't want to be MLG. Yeah, because everyone gets really upset when they lose. God damn it. Oh, got to watch this fusion call. <laughs> Somebody would complain after every match, and we spent all of our time watching replays and people screaming about how they were ripped off, and it was like a big part of it was like, look, my foot's clearly on the goal right here, and I didn't get a score. It's like, well, that's just the way the game works. Yeah, you know? I can nothing... go back 
There's no referee saying that that was in or out. That was that was what happened in the game. <laughs> yeah, and I can't I can't uh, I can't go back to a Halo match and say, well, I shot that guy before he shot me. Um, you remember when the replay system first started uh, for Halo Three? The the main thing everyone used it for was to prove that their uh, achievements were legitimate. Yep. And I would send you in the UK, I would send you my achievements as I was getting close. I remember, I think Triple Kill or Overkill was one of the hardest ones where you had to get four. What the fuck? Where did that come from? Yeah, it had to be in ranked. Or was it ranked? It had to be ranked matchmaking. Yeah, it had to be a multiplayer. So you I had to play. There was ranked back you had then. to play Lone Wolves. And at the time when Halo came out, Lone Wolves was five people. Yes. So it meant, it meant killing everyone that wasn't you. <laughs> Uh, within four seconds of each other. And that's what made that achievement so difficult. I remember I, I trimmed out my version of the, the way I got the achievement, and you didn't believe me. <laughs> you thought I was cheating. Well, look at the last guy. That was for Step and Razor. Your last guy was just standing there waiting no, for No, it was for the overkill with the hammer. It was on uh, Epitaph. And the guy was just standing there? The guy there. was just, he, he was looking at me, but it looked like he didn't see me. So in the end, I, instead of saving, say, sending you the clip, I sent you the entire game. I was like, watch the game. Everyone was playing for real. <laughs> because there were people that we saw that were, they got their overkill achievement or their step yeah. and razor achievement. And it was clear they were in a match where everyone else also got the achievement yeah. in that match. So <laughs> it was clear what was going on. Yeah, I have friends cool. that to this day, I, I hold that against them and I haven't even told them. That I know that they did. That. I hold that against two people. <laughs> Shall we discuss them offline? I'll, I'll say that name. <laughs> who we got? Who we got? Who do you? Who upset by? Uh And. Really? <laughs> interesting. He'd be an interesting choice. He might be someone I might mention as well. Yeah. He's been outed now. Yeah. All these years later. We six could, years uh, later. We can bleep them if that's going to be an issue. But then you know we'd had to deal with a couple seasons of Griff Ball. Where we were the guys, oh, am I going to score a flag kill here? No, because our flag's not here. No. We still are winning. So I didn't know we could, I didn't know we could deliver without the flag in place. Griff Ball happened around, I think, December or t towards the end of 2007, right? And in our first tournament, my team name, do you remember my team name? Team Scrotum. Team Scrotum. Because of your ball sack problem. No, nope. <laughs> just randomly, Team Scrotum. <laughs> <laughs> but then what happened was, is I had my ball sack problem after that. No way, you jinxed yourself. Yeah. And also, <laughs> another funny thing that happened during that time is because the first tournament we had to get together and stuff, play other teams. My team name was Team Scrotum. <gasps> I put Team, I put Go Team Scrotum in my motto. Right. And I got banned from Xbox Live. I won this game, by the way. You I did. Point that out. Well done. All right, give me some time. Look at me, anchor for Red Team. So I got banned from Xbox Live in the middle of our first tournament. I remember that, yeah. I was banned for 10 days. Yeah, that was... So I had my team go on without me and play. We ended up not doing it very well. You were uh, a great runner, if I recall correctly. There was a time where when I had the ball in my hands, I was completely unstoppable. I would stiff arm the entire team. And we came up with all these terms <laughs> for what you did. Right. So, you know, all, st Like we had running terms and yeah. stiff arms and... and like, Slop. Pro runs. <laughs> pro runs and speed runs. A pro stuff. run was when you grabbed the ball and scored it off, like within, tip off. Within 10 seconds. Yeah. And, and see, I always loved that Air stuff. ball, which eventually became like flowersing because of that guy. And I would, uh, I would, I was talking with Ben on a previous iteration of Game Time, and that was the first thing that Ben worked on for us. That's the Mark 5. Yeah, that's the Mark 5. I don't think I've seen that yet. Oh, yeah, that's, uh, that's, this that's is new, right? Champions Map Pack. Yeah. yeah. Came out. So the, uh, and I had it for a while, but then I realized I just looked like Caboose, so I got rid of that fucking thing right away. <laughs> um, 
And then we did that, and then Griff Ball ended up in Reach. It ended up in the actual game types. Yeah. Like, it was listed in the game types, not part of the game. And there was even the Jeff Steitzer voice saying, Griff Ball. Which yeah. I thought was one of the coolest things. It was like, <laughs> something that you said is now said by the announcer guy in Halo. And that's the same announcer guy from Halo 1. And this is, took an entire match to get, to get to this point, but the reason why... I thought this would be appropriate timing to do this because Ricochet was coming out, but then something else amazing happened last week where something you made in for Achievement Hunter Let's Plays in ended Minecraft. up in Minecraft, yeah. the Tower of Pimps, which you created in Episode 2. Episode 2 of our Minecraft Let's Play. Because you were drunk. I was and drunk. And still trying to be an <laughs> asshole. Everything that, that was – because in Minecraft, I feel like if everything is going smoothly – well, at least I did back then. It doesn't really need to happen as much now. But if everything was going too smoothly, it didn't make an interesting video because we'd all be, like, quietly mining and working together. Right. So I thought, I'm going to have a few bevs at lunch. And I took all of Ray's gold that he made. He mined, he mined 36 gold ingots for our powered rail as we were trying to get the uh -huh. And I turned all of it into just blocks. And I stacked them up. And immediately came up with the name Tower of Pimps, probably without even thinking because it was gold. Right. And now... Who else but a pimp would build a tower <laughs> like that? And now in the, uh, in the tutorial of, the, of Title Update 12, in a little temple is the Tower of Pimps. Just to get that recognition from the maker of the game that you play is... I can't see anything, by the way. Can you turn the TV? Oh, yeah, because the, the glare is unbelievable. There you go, buddy. But to get that recognition from the, the makers of the game that you play... Wow, well, it does require concentration. It's, it's okay, great, so now you're playing Ricochet, feeling. by the way. I've never played this before. So there's a ball, and look on your screen, incoming. Yeah. So that's where it's going to end up next. You know, I know exactly what you're saying, too, because when we started Red versus Blue, people always ask, like, how much did you have planned out and things like that? And I always, I've always said, uh, only wrote six episodes and only roadmapped six episodes. It was The series was essentially going to end uh, with Donut getting the pink armor. Yeah. That was going to be the last episode and, and the jokes surrounding that. But then as the series took off, it expanded, obviously. But the other thing um, was at the beginning... Jesus, there's a hole there. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, there's a new hole. Get the ball. It's right beside you. Well... Oh, that's you. Dying. <laughs> so the ball's right there, and then to throw it, you pull left trigger. Okay. And you can pass it, and it is auto-pickup. Uh, and you're trying to either run it into this goal for 50 points, oh. or you can throw it in from any distance for 20. And to throw it in... Uh, is uh, an achievement if you throw it from more than 30 meters away, I think. That's a cool achievement. Or if you score three times in one match. What is going on on your screen? Oh, God. Do, are, is this the right controller setup for you? Yeah. Yeah, we're just terrible at Halo, basically. <laughs> um, but my goal when I initially started Red versus Blue, like, I thought, what's the best possible thing that could come of this from, like, I guess a business standpoint? Yeah. My hope was that whatever we're doing could possibly end up as... Hey, score, score. hey, get three more, two more of those and right. give me an achievement because you're on my profile. <laughs> um, the best thing that could possibly happen uh, as a result of this is that we might end up as an Easter egg in a Halo game. And how cool would that be? Because I was playing so much Halo yeah. and, and I thought that would be awesome. And so I know exactly what you mean. It's like to have that happen where you end up with something that's a part of the game uh, is just it's really cool. It's really yeah. cool. And to have, like, for Griffball, to have a game type, to have Tower of Pimps, which is, like, in my opinion, the Tower of Pimps is, like, the icon of Achievement Hunter, right? It's almost like the mascot <laughs> of Achievement Hunter. And yeah, that ends I mean, up... we, we, we put a giant one in the middle of our Achievement Hunter lounge at RTX. That was a proud moment, too. Oh, that thing was awesome. Oops. Yeah, the, the enormous one that Jack built with his dad. Yeah. It's, uh, 
what, five meters high. Yeah, because a, a Minecraft brick just massive. Block is one by one meter. No, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of fun. It's like, and, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of other things that you've done. You started Slow Mo Guys yep. since we've started working together. You know, had your own success. You've worked on movies like Sherlock Holmes 2, Hot Fuzz. Yep. You know, um, Dread. All of those things, like, you've you've worked on professional Hollywood films. you got your own successful YouTube channels. You're obviously a huge part of, uh, you know, some of our biggest shows that we've had. And, you know, still something like what happened last week where something you worked on makes its way back to an original, you know, creator that you admire and then they acknowledge it. That's fun. Yeah. That's a lot being, of fun. Being acknowledged by the developer of the game. I mean, the, being acknowledged by the community, like the fact that the Minecraft community watches our Minecraft videos, that's awesome. As soon as the developer gets in on that too, it's just such a great feeling. It's like, it's a feeling of completion. Why'd you vote for Slayer, bitch? I didn't. I voted for Ricochet. Uh, Deadpool. Come on, don't do that. Ricochet. All right, you're playing Slayer. <laughs> no, okay. po- no point in me playing that stuff. But going back to what we were talking about with um, the team names and stuff. Yeah. So I picked Team Scrotum. I was banned. Then I had testicular torsion. Mm. <laughs> and that put me out. He, no, he literally had testicular torsion. It wasn't like another team name yeah. that he created. So <laughs> my ball twisted around. I was in hospital. I was out of commission for a few days. And, uh, you, peed, my, you peed on a pretty nurse's hand. I peed on someone's hand. I, as, peed, as I almost peed into my own face, which is a story from the podcast. <laughs> but then my second team was called Team Torsion. But one of the main reasons, like one of the first things you hired me to do was create highlights for Griffball. the Griffball tournaments. Because we had Griffball.com, and every week we would take highlights from the best games, like the most impressive highlights. And I would download the, the file shares, the, the what am I talking about? The game saves. Yeah, because people, everyone who played in the match would then save their game yeah. file because that was going to be a way to prove for protests and stuff how the game was played. And we actually got some pretty entertaining videos. Like, every week, some people would do some amazing things. Like, it uh, was always a lot of they fun. They would be hammered into the air, sail over the whole team, like, do a 360. And they would do, like, the people would end up scoring in style, like, jumping off the wall and spinning and then slamming it down. And that's so, when we first met people like Andrew Panton. Yeah. In there. And uh, Flowers. And Finch was a big part of that. Caleb, Jack, Patillo. A lot of people that we, uh, you know, interface with a lot. That's not a weird interface, but <laughs> that we talk with or, or work with. Um, you know, th- those are people we met during the Griffball Yes. Yeah. And I, I would basically start doing some experimental stuff. And I ended up being pretty good in moving the in-game camera. Like, I would say I was pretty good at doing kind of fast-paced uh, in Halo filming, basically. Mm-hmm. Really dynamic shots. Yeah. And I would, I, even, I think on one of them. I did a full-on, like, Matrix 360. <laughs> yeah, for a, a, uh, one of the goals being scored. Yeah. and you yeah. were like, oh, Gavin's doing the Matrix. You were like, do that. Because I, I, all I would do was edit the video and send it to you, and then you would do the commentary on it. Right. Usually with, uh, probably with Jeff. Probably so. Um, but it was because of that, I think, well, probably, I'm guessing, that you wanted me to... Maybe Jack, too, because Jack yeah. was one of the commissioners. Although, you were, Jack wasn't in the office at that time. No, I guess not. I guess not. So probably not Jack. Yeah, I always was a big fan of the two-person commentary. Yeah. A one-person commentary always felt kind of dry to me, and I always liked the two-person thing. So you then asked me to come and direct. Nice. I don't think I love, I'll teach that guy. I love doing that to people who aren't playing. There's an achievement in this <laughs> to when someone is scoring in ricochet to assassinate them like a meter and a half from the goal. Really? Like, that. like right as they're about to step in. That's great. Yeah, good luck with that. So you hired me to do the miniseries. I hired you to do a I, red I imagine... versus blue miniseries called Relocated. Yeah. And now this is this goes back to something. And was that because of my camera work on Griffball highlights? Okay, this was a lot of reasons. You and I were talking about this a little bit. You got fucked up by doing an overshield. 
Oh, no, that was you? Oh. <laughs> yeah, that broke out. When did you get an overshield? Did you get a just there. drop? No, it was, it was right there. Oh, okay. The, um, but the uh, relocated series was – that was after season six – uh, but before season seven, uh, that's because it was Halo three came out and Valhalla was in there and we were moving the guys, um, to, to different bases. We were moving them to, at the end of season six, they ended up in Valhalla. Yeah. Uh, and so this was a mini series to bridge that in season seven, because season six was like, for me, a big, huge recharge season where I had taken a couple of months off and I wanted to write something new and do something cool with red versus blue and made what is now my favorite season reconstruction. And uh, after that, I was kind of like, well, I, that worked really well, so why don't I kind of look at doing the same thing again? I'm taking a little bit <laughs> of a recharge yeah. uh, and then going back into to season eight or season seven. And so this is something that I always ran into, and you've run into this as well, where what happened was after six seasons of directing Red versus Blue, I was saying to everybody else in the company, hey, I would really like if somebody else directed an entire season, like would just take, take it on and redirect it all. And people would go, yeah, you don't want that. They would literally say, they would literally tell me, you don't want that. I'd be in meetings. I'd say, no, no, I really, I'd be great if someone does it. Yeah, you say that, but you don't want, you don't want that. You know, that's not what you want. So I, I went out and hired at the time you were 19. So what year is this that we're talking? Oh, this would have been 2009. 2009, yeah. So I was 21. You were 21. Okay. So I I hired a 21-year-old guy. From the UK, and I said, "This is how much I am serious about this." And someone seems to be listening. I'm gonna go out and hire this guy. You showed up in the office to direct season seven after you had directed Relocated. Yeah. And so you went from Relocated right into directing all of season seven. Yeah. You know, with help. With help. I mean, we didn't just like say go crazy and you know. Well, it's actually funny you say that because the first week I was there. Yeah. The first episode I did because I wasn't I didn't do the entire season. You did the first five episodes mm-hmm. when I started episode six. And uh, everyone left town immediately. <laughs> it was me and Nathan in the office, and that was it. <laughs> um, and I think we did a PSA about uh, fire safety. Yeah, fire safety. So I did that one, I think, almost completely on my own. But uh, it was a good one to start with. And, and that then, was and in, we the, with in the basement of Valhalla, which yeah. was... I love the the kind of fake geography that we've created in in the Halo universe. Like, in my head, so many levels are just behind or underneath other levels. Like, they walk out a door in one level and go into another one. Yeah. And they're not connected anywhere in the actual game, but they look like they're connected based on the way we shoot it. One of the things that you did in, in Blood Gulch is you made waterworks underneath it. Right. That's the cave map yeah. in Halo and Halo The one with 2. the stalactites. Yeah. And it was always like a cut. Like, you would cut to underneath. And then when we did... The hologram room underneath Valhalla, right. which was actually sand trap, sand no, sandbox, which was the under, underneath of uh, the sandbox map. I wanted to see if I could actually move the camera from one map to another. So all I did was, I think I started moving the camera down in Valhalla, and then I cut to the inside of the tunnel in sandbox, yeah. and just did a fade. And I remember showing you, and all of a sudden it's in sandbox, and you were like, whoa, 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 do that again. <laughs> If you go back, when, and you were trying to find the cut where I did it. Right. And I just did a crossfade. And one of the benefits of the uh, upward and downward movement being on the, the click buttons is that it was always the same speed, no matter what, when you when It's you, uh, one of the few benefits. Yeah. It, it's we're not, talking about the camera useful. in theater mode, the up and down, like raising the altitude or lowering of the camera. That is on it's the bumper uh, buttons. So it's digital. It's basically it's, on or off. Right. So you can match speed perfectly. So if I move the camera down about Valhalla... 
and then cut and then go into sandbox and move it down again. It's the exact same speed. And I did a little fade um, to kind of mimic an, an elevator with all the red team going down. Right. It was a pretty funny shot. <laughs> and they're all talking <laughs> the yeah. way down. And there's, uh, and there's nothing apart from just goofy sound effects of uh, Lopez and Sarge talking to each other. But it's funny It's funny the way it works because you were a kid in the UK. You started watching Red vs. Blue yeah, let's in one do episode. A, let's do a timeline of like events because I'm not sure everyone knows this. So in 2003, 2003, April 2003, I made the first episode or the trailer and first episode of Red vs. Blue. I, I made it in my bedroom. We started just, off from there. Uh, Jeff and Gus and Jason... Uh, on season one, we produced most of season one uh, with those four people in my bedroom. When did you first start watching Red vs. Blue? I found out about Red vs. Blue when episode five came out. The episode five was the uh, the newest episode I could watch at the time. So I watched, or well, I say I watched, I downloaded and saved to my computer the first five episodes of Red vs. Blue. Because that's all you could do back then. You couldn't watch it on the website. And then I signed up. On the 11th of May, 2003, which was, I think, the day the sixth episode came out. And now this was... Because I found out you could actually watch it slightly earlier if you were a member of the website. Right. The, the way it was staggered before was if you were a sponsor, you watched it early. If you were a member of the forums, you watched it a little bit earlier than right. the public. And then the final release, release was for the public. There was, it was The reason why we did that was because our servers couldn't handle everyone watching it at once. Right. And also, so, I imagine, a good incentive to get people to sign up. It was a good incentive to get people to sign up, but it was really it was driven by the technology at the time. That was a fucking awesome shotgun kill. I've never had a shotgun kill anyone from that far away. Ever. <laughs> it always kills me from that far away, but never have I killed anyone else from that far away. You've got to get them almost completely in the middle of the circle for that. So May 11th, you sign up. Yeah. And this was the site that Gus had made, the, the white site with the white background. Nice. <laughs> oh, you got an assist, oh, got an assist for that. That was me being a dirty player. Yeah, it's fun. They took out the yoink medal. Oh, you could take away yeah. a assassination from somebody? I love that. The uh, And so you signed up May 11th, and then you were how old at the time? 14. I was actually, uh, my birthday's May 23rd, so I was just about to be 15. And so I remember the first experience. I'm 25 now, by the way. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> So have we reached more than halfway? No, we'll do that when you're 30, I guess, or yeah. 28. Yeah. That's when we'll cross over. Where... Uh, half my life. Sewn <laughs> <laughs> up, up in Rooster Teeth. But um, I but first discovered you, or I first remember encountering you for the first time uh, when you did a series of uh, Photoshopped images of you in your backyard, and you had cloned yourself a bunch. Well, what, what happened was is that you didn't have many shirts in the store back then, and I think you were trying to get – a lot of community members to take pictures of themselves wearing shirts. So I was like, I'm going to do mine, but make it a bit more interesting than everyone else's. So I just had the camera still, and I stood in different places and took a bunch of pictures and photoshopped them all together. So there'd be like eight of me wearing a caboose shirt. <laughs> um, and I used to do funny stuff like that. I, used to, I also used to do just like eight seconds. I basically did vines before vine was around. I don't know if you remember, I used to do like front flips in my living room. Oh, you see, I thought they were doing them in your bedroom. Didn't yeah, you break like, your hip on one of them? <laughs> Almost. You were I used part to just of... do like really, really short videos because I used to use a service that you could only upload a two megabyte file, I think. And I had a camera that so fucking with you. probably like 240 by 360 could do, you could do like a 10 second video and keep it under two megs. And I would upload those. And I'd be known for that in the community around, uh, around the forums. It'd be like the, the dumb 
Brit guy who used to just do flips and stuff. Like, and your avatar was a, was a woman's breast. Yeah. <laughs> Back then, the only way of expressing yourself, we didn't have image galleries or journals. All you had was a 75 by 75 pixel image. Which is tiny. How do you remember that? That, that's what, that was the resolution of that. <laughs> so that was all you had. And uh, what, I, I read the rules of what your picture could be. It said no, uh, no nudity and stuff. My username was Gavino, so I, uh, I, <laughs> I cropped out a tit <laughs> and covered the nipple with Gavino. And I, I don't think anyone noticed that it was a tit until I told people. And then but, you put a Santa hat on it. Yeah, and for Christmas I used to put a Santa hat over the, over the nipple and stuff like that. That made it legit. Okay, so I signed up 2003. And then I and then I saw that first image that you made in your backyard, and we just got to talking with you like slowly over time. And there was yeah, well I didn't I didn't actually get noticed by you guys for a long time. But I uh, eventually did. I think people knew who I was about a year later. What does that mean to get noticed by? Uh, just to it was kind of rare that a user would be replied to by a staff member. Well, there was probably, at that time, 200,000 users, and they were very, very active. Yeah. Um, so it was always like, I was always trying to get noticed. I would post a lot in different threads. I would always comment on every episode that came out. Well, that's why we made the awards when we made the big site. But by then, yeah. you were you were the first person to get all the awards. I got the all site. the staff awards. <laughs> yeah. You were the first person to do that. In fact, probably still to this day, one of the only, because a lot of those awards are now, uh, they're held by people who don't use the site anymore, like yeah. some of the voice actors. Yeah. There were originally nine awards. So I, I first met a staff member in October of 2004. It was the same month you launched the new version of the website. Right. And it was when Jason, Joel, and Gus all came to London. And at that point, I was well-known enough by you guys to the point where I could hang out with them before the event. So they were doing like a, a, a speech, a talk about Machinima. And I was able to hang out with those guys for, like, two hours before their thing. You know, one of the coolest things about Red versus Blue and Machine... But by the way, G Gavin, you did much better than I did playing Halo. Now I'm going to play. Okay. I'm going to play Ricochet. I'm trying to get this achievement to get three scores. Um, or throw the ball in from, like, 30 meters away. So, <laughs> wish me luck. Um, Do you have to throw it up? Do you have to arc it? Or does it go yeah, and plus you got to get it, like, kind of, like... You get, like, one bounce, I think. But okay. if it goes off a wall, you're fucked. It doesn't count as a throw anymore. Then it's just okay. a drop ball. But uh, one of the cool things about machinima as an art form, this is little m machinima, is that it's kind of a neat novelty in the U.S., but in other parts of the world, like Australia yeah, and it's Europe, like a, it's an art form. a legitimate art form. So yeah. we'd always get asked to go and do talks. So I, I traveled to London. Bitch. Where's my, where's my fucking teammates? <laughs> the, guy sitting at the, the guy was sitting right there with me the entire time chucking grenades. Then as soon as somebody else shows up, he's gone. So I traveled to London. I was probably 16 at this point. And I met Joel, Jason, and Gus. I hung out with them, and I was like, wow, it's really... Because to me, at that time, I didn't really care about any celebrities. But, and you guys were probably the most famous people to me, in my eyes. Because I used to watch... I, was, I was, guess I was just kind of like a lonely kid. I just used to watch Red vs. Blue all the time. And I would spend most of my free time on the forums. That was actually when I started to become more reclusive, I guess, in my actual life. I used to have a lot of friends... I think world. I got a protector medal for killing one of my teammates. <laughs> <laughs> you protected him for one microsecond. Yeah, I protected you from dying at the hands of the enemy by so, killing you. So I would spend most of my time when I wasn't in school just on your website, on the forums, just chatting to people. And I made a lot of friends. So it was exciting to meet people from the internet for the first time. And Joel and Gus and Jason were the first people I did that with. Yeah, you know, I talked to Ben about that too where, uh, you know, what was his first experience? Am I by the, am I by the there goal? Here we go. Bitch, go in there. 
Hey. Oh, that's one square. Oh, and I got assassinated. Oh, nice. Look at that. <laughs> Helpful friends. I regret that I ever made fun of you guys. The um, but but Ben's first experiences online, and you grew up with the internet as well, right? Yeah. I mean, you don't really remember a time where you didn't have. I, I used to use MSN Messenger. I, I signed up in November 2000, so I would have been 12 when I started using the internet. But what happened was is that around that time, none of my friends were into video games, and my little friend group, they all they all found weed at the exact same time. They're like, oh, now we now we smoke weed, and uh, I really wasn't into that at all. Like I. I didn't want. I didn't oh, like. Fuck Jesus! <laughs> that was dramatic. I didn't like the idea of smoking drugs at all. I didn't want to do it. So, I actually lost an entire group of friends. I lost like everyone. Really? Yeah, because they would they would just do that, and they wouldn't be fun anymore. That sucks. So I, spent, man. I never I knew that. A, I spent a lot of time on the internet to make up for it. And I, I did still have friends at school and stuff. I used to hang out. So I wasn't ever lonely, but outside of school, all of my friends that played video games were now just smoking weed and. <laughs> Doing that, so I had no one to play Halo with. That anymore. was the worst throw ever. Of all time. <laughs> Good lord. So what? So basically, what happened was after <laughs> I'm really, I, I'm really terrible at Halo, by the way. After I met those guys in 2004, yeah. Jason messaged me on the site. He said, because uh, Halo 2 had just come out mm-hmm. in 2004, and Xbox Live was now huge, and uh, he was like, he messaged me his game attack. He was like, let's play. And I was like, oh my god, I'm gonna. Tucker from Red vs Blue wants to play Halo with me, so I played with him a lot, and that eventually led me to playing with you, and Gus, and people like that. And it was at that point that, yeah, I think in between them, in between that, I went to the Lincoln Center to meet you, meet everyone. That was when I met most of the people from the, the Red vs. Blue site, the staff. Oh, fucking, what does that bounce? That did not go in. Do you remember what happened at, at the Lincoln Center? You had an Oreo for the first time. I ate an Oreo for the first time, and one of the guys from the site made me a, a bowling, <laughs> he got a bowling trophy. And engraved on it said the most distance traveled because I came all the way from the UK. Yeah, you and they, they made me stand up in front of everyone. So I was basically stood up in a room with the whole staff of Red vs. Blue looking at me. It was kind of weird. And <laughs> it's a profound moment there. Oh, this fucker. Oh, God, I'm getting sniped and assassinated. They're fighting over who gets to kill me quicker. Their team. Yeah, so that was the first time I remember meeting you, but then I went over to the UK. You met me in the UK about four months before. <laughs> And oh, the, it was before that. Yeah, that's right. But, uh, the meeting everyone else, like, I met Jeff for the first time at the Lincoln Center uh-huh. in 2005. Well, that, that experience, too, of going to meet you in the U.K. was funny because that's the one. This guy with the fucking sniper rifles pissing me off. Uh, that was the one where I was going to go meet you and we were going to go see episode three of Star Wars. But I didn't have your phone number and you were like two hours late, so I just assumed you I wasn't two it. hours late. You were. Yeah, fuck, how does it feel to be sniped, bitch? You're going to get sniped. Yeah, yeah. Bullshit I am. Fucking take, eat a grenade, you bitch. Please die. Oh, that would have been nice. That rarely works for me, those kind of throw and hope grenades. Those little Chucky grenades? <laughs> Chucky's. Oh! <laughs> shotgun. Sniper and a shotgun. I get, uh, who couldn't see that coming, by the way? Who didn't know that that was going to happen to me? God damn it. All right, I'm going to get rockets. So uh, what, after we played Halo for a few times, this was probably 2005, I asked you if I could come to Texas. Because what I realized, I, I used to work at a, a company called Waitrose at this time. And uh, I used to stack fruit and veg. It was a supermarket. And they told me I had, I think, two weeks of vacation left that I didn't use. And my exams were coming up, my GCSE exams. So I was like, I should probably take off two weeks and revise my exams. So I just, I took two weeks off work. And then I was talking to you on Xbox Live while we were playing Halo 2. One of the, so bad with the sniper rifle. 
I think when you weren't rage quitting from Halo 2, we actually used to have good conversations online. Oh, I'd never rage quit. You used to quit a lot. Go fuck yourself. You used to quit a lot. And I was, and I asked you if I could come to the office. Look, they're watching me play this now, and I'm not rage quitting. If I'm not rage quitting out of this shit. Fucker. Behind you. Behind you. And in front. I just want to kill that one dude. Kill Joy. That's right. There goes your fucking, uh, uh, what's that medal? Perfection medal, bitch. Yeah, kill me all you want, you big pricks. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm getting way off topic. Halo yeah. was a tough game to talk and play. I asked you if I could come to the office, in, which was in Buda at the time, and you're like, yeah, yeah, come over for a week. So instead of revising for my exams, I flew to Austin, Texas. Is that what you say, revising for your exams? It means studying. It means revise. It means going over the stuff you studied. Yeah, no, I've never, I've never heard that term before. I didn't it's know you guys had a different word for UK s- study. So, it's, yeah, instead of revising, <laughs> I flew, I think, oh, so I was uh, 2006. I was 18. I, I guess it wasn't my GCSE. It must have been my A-levels. So I flew to Austin, and I stayed there for a week. And that was when I became really good friends with Jeff and Griffin. They let me stay with them and stuff. And then I drove... Nice score. I drove with Gus all the way to Akon in Dallas. And uh, I got the idea of... Uh, I, I got to see what conventions were like and stuff and running conventions. And how old were you at this point? I was 18. And I, was, I, I probably only talked to you for a day in the office, but I, I realized when I was there that you guys had a lot to do. Because from an outsider... You don't really see how much it takes to run a company, especially small. <laughs> Why did you throw it? Because I was trying to get three kills. Oh, okay. I was trying to jump. I was kind of nerfing it a little bit. I didn't know what the score was, but I knew I could have right, won if I'd have put that in. And I was trying to get my three scores achievement. I think that whole purpose of that match was to get that one guy <laughs> on a, a perfection medal, oh. and I ruined his life. <laughs> so sorry, dude. That's the way shit goes sometimes. So when I went to the office, this is 2006. It was you, Matt, Jason, Jeff. Nathan. Yeah. I think it was six of you. Was anyone else there? Uh, no, that sounds right. So I, I went Nathan there. Was, Nathan was like our one hire that we made. He was your in, first hire. He was the first employee, right? In Buda. Yeah, yeah, he was the first person we hired. It would be him and Finch the cat would sit behind him. God, Finch would, Finch would just... I've had that cat for 12 years of my life. That cat was a little gray and white cat. It was our first office cat. That cat would never let me pet it. I had that cat 12 years. I pet it maybe like four times. That was it. It would run away every time it saw me. And uh, I think it was because when it was a kitten, it had an ear infection, and I had to give it ear medicine. Oh, that would do it. It associated me with horror. Yeah. Vote for Ricochet, you pricks. But it fucking loved Nathan, and it would sit behind him in his chair. He had to lean forward so that he wouldn't squish the cat. The other person was I tried to hire Dan to come work with us in the Buda office, but he wouldn't do it. Yeah. Like, when he showed up, I think his thing was what you had, where we're just working all the time. Yeah. It really looks like from the outside, well, a lot in, of people In my head, it was, you guys had to make one video a week, which you said publicly that you used to do in, like, one night. You used to do it on Thursday nights and stay up all through the night. Yep. Uh, obviously, you had to write it. So I, I, would, I went there thinking, so I guess everyone just hangs out <laughs> and just plays video games. Absolutely the opposite. So everyone was working on different stuff. Like Jeff would always be managing the store, and Gus would be, yep. you know, all over the place doing computer stuff, tech stuff. Nathan would be doing, you know, all kinds of visual DVDs effects. DVDs was a big DVDs. thing that he did visual and, effects. And yeah. the occasional commercial work would be there at the time. So I, I left Austin and went back to England, and I played with you in Halo again. And I was like, hey, it seemed like you had a bunch of, uh, bunch of stuff, and only six guys. If you ever need anyone to, you know, come over for free and just help out. I'm absolutely the guy to talk to because I'll definitely do it. Because I had a whole summer that I was pretty much not going to do anything with. God damn relay. I don't know why I threw a grenade. I just cancelled my relay there. And you were like, yeah, uh, we have a lot of conventions coming up this summer. And um, bring it on. We really need... Whoa! 
worth it. Totally worth it. Yeah, I'll play while you talk. We'll switch, we'll switch off now while we talk. How about that? Yeah. So you said uh, I could come over for, for a summer, which as a tourist in America, I could stay 90 days. Anyone can go to America for 90 days. I'm totally out. trying to get that achievement. Nice. Is that the achievement? Yeah, I got points for a fast break, too. Yeah. No, it wasn't far enough away. So what I would do is I would fly ahead of everyone to the conventions, and I'd set up the booth and get out all the shirts and stuff. Yep. And you actually found that I was pretty useful when I wasn't doing that as well. So I would help on commercial stuff. I was reshooting season two, which was being remastered. I was doing all this other stuff. So when my 90 days was up, it was kind of a bummer because you had, like, found use for me, basically. I couldn't legally work there because... I'm not a, not American, and for a tourist to work in America, you need a visa and stuff like that. Yeah, so it it was a tough thing where yeah. you would at the end of ninety days you would always have to go home yeah. and then build up enough so after time that, essentially to have another ninety day period. After that, that summer, I went back to England, and uh, I, I there was around then that my job as a high speed cameraman was really picking up. Okay, now so, so talk about that. So how did you get involved with high speed photography? Okay, so in two thousand four. One of my friends did work experience with a dude who lived next door to him, and he had this brick with, like, an Ethernet cable sticking out the back. <laughs> it could do a 1,000 frames per second at standard F. It was one of the very first digital high-speed cameras that was deemed good enough to use for entertainment. Usually, they would be very low res, often black and white, and be used in the military. And this was just a color version of a military camera. And people would start hiring this guy to work on commercials and music videos and stuff. And so this was your, on TV. your buddy at first had a work period with him, huh? Yeah. He, he did work experience and was like, he knew I was into cameras and stuff. Because I always, well, I always filmed goofy videos. Like I was talking about the dumb, dumb videos I used to upload on the, on the website. And I always filmed dumb videos with my friend. And he was like, hey, you should talk to this guy. He has this camera that does slow motion. And I was like, that sounds top. So I went to, I went to that guy and we, we did a bunch of stuff in his back garden. It was one of those first balloon pop videos we did. Uh-huh. There was no YouTube at the time. So I uploaded it. And posted it on my journal on on redversblue.com, and then someone took it and uploaded it, and it ended up on it ended up everywhere. It ends up everywhere. It was one of the first slow motion videos that people had seen. Uh, it ended up on the front page of bigboys.com, which is now break.com. Break. Yep. So someone made 500 bucks from that. So I, I found out that like people were really interested in seeing slow motion of just random stuff. Usually slow motion was only ever used in like big pieces where it was a, like a part of the story or whatever. And I was just pointing it at stuff. And just filming it and uploading it, and people would be interested in it. Like, I blew up a banana. That was another one I did. A banana. Banana. <laughs> God, I, I, I try not to make fun of your accent, or the differences in our two accents, I yeah. should say. Uh, it's been a long time since I've done that, but I just love you. sound so proper when you say water. <laughs> water. Banana. So I, um, I asked this guy. Uh, you know, that video, I want to say, is one of the first things. Was that the one where you were bouncing your – whose head was it you were bouncing that green balloon? That was the guy who did work experience. That guy's name is Charlie. Okay. I guess I never met him. Jesus Christ. Um, uh, you never met that guy. So. But that video I remember when you came over to the U.S. It went everywhere. We it walked viral. In to the coffee shop next door yeah. the first day here, and, and you said, that's my video. And there was some girl on her laptop. One of those moments where I'm so used to seeing that video, I, walk, I almost walked past it. I walked into a coffee shop. One of my one of my first, probably the second time I was ever in America. I walked in. Wait, someone's watching that video that I uploaded to my journal. Obviously, it was uploaded on a different site at this point. Right. And uh, she was watching it. A bunch of people were watching it. I was like, oh, look how cool this is. And I walked up to her. I was like, I filmed that. That's 
You're watching a video I filmed in England. That's a, that's in my backyard. That's my neighbor's backyard in uh, in Oxfordshire, England. She freaked out. She couldn't believe it, and, we, and I was just like amazed. And it was then that we were like, we should probably start a start a, just up putting up slow motion videos. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that was that was probably that was 2007 when we saw the the woman watching it. So anyway, my uh, my career in the UK was taken off. Oh, fucker. And what, what happened was is that the guy who had this digital high-speed camera, he'd, he'd come from a film background, mm-hmm. didn't really know much about computers. So I asked him if I could just shadow him on jobs. And for about a year, I just for free, because I was still working at a supermarket, still working at Waitrose, stacking my bananas. <laughs> and um, so I worked for free with him. I just used to watch what he did. And I ended up teaching him a bunch of stuff about computers that really helped him out and made his, made his imagery look a lot better. And he eventually hired me, and I quit my job at the uh, at the supermarket. And I, had, I ended up working on some really cool stuff, like Top Gear and like those movies you mentioned. I think in, when I quit, I'd done 300 different jobs. Is that true? I'm on like 300 different cool sheets. That's crazy. Yeah. And that, that led to really interesting issues when I was trying to hire you. Because yeah. once, once we decided, okay, look... Getting Gavin over here on a on a ninety day tourist visa is just not the way to well, do it. Well, there just wasn't any time to do anything. Yeah. So I came over for, for ninety days, did relocated, and then I came over for ninety days to do recreation, and that yes. was that Season was ni- nineteen episodes and doing nineteen episodes in in uh, twelve weeks. Or how, how how many weeks is ninety days? Nah, ninety days is essentially three months, so it's about twelve to thirteen weeks. Yeah, and it was it was just like I never had any time. So we did all these ninety God. day trips. And it was in the end. Where of two- my team? I ran back and forth from their team three times. Where the hell was my team in that entire process? It was at the end of 2009 where I was in Austin. I, we were do- working on recreation, and you said, do you want to move here? <laughs> here we go. And I was like, hell yeah. Because you actually were, were going to make an effort to get a lawyer and try and get me a visa to do yeah, it. Yeah, we were going to try to get you a visa, and we thought, we thought oh, this will be an easy process if we're going to get you a visa, but I didn't know for sure that you wanted to come over here, and you said, yeah, you did. Definitely did. I mean, Even though I had a really good job in the UK, and I was actually making way more money than all my friends doing that. Yep. Because on a film set, it was, it was, there were ups and downs to it, though. One of the reasons that I didn't like my job in the UK is that because we did such specialist stuff, at the time we were the only people doing digital high-speed in the UK. Film high speed was still around, but very expensive. You had to buy a thousand feet of film, and you couldn't see it, whether the shot worked or anything, and you had to get it all developed and stuff. And the film moves so fast. Yeah, you would end up using a thousand feet of film in seven seconds, which is very expensive. Doesn't it, I've always heard that those cameras, that when they're film-based, that the film moves so fast, there's no way to have a take-up reel for it, so it just spits all the film into a bag. I never experienced that. What's with these fuckers who don't play the game? They just <laughs> yeah. sit here and snipe they're from the edges. They're actually integral to the team. <laughs> so anyway, I would be this 18, like 17, 18 year old kid on a proper big set with all these people from the film industry, often like one to 200 people. And I would have this um, like really high up job on this set because I would be the only one who knew how to work this camera. So if I wasn't there, the, sh- the, the shoot couldn't happen. So I had these runners and stuff. Who were trying to get into the film industry, t- trying to like. I'm so bad with fucking death rifle. That's a church action, right? <laughs> if you want to get into the film industry as a cameraman, you want to you, you usually start as a runner and then maybe work up to you know like a clapper loader and then become a focus puller and do all this stuff. Yeah. I just fast tracked all that straight to cameraman. So I was operating this camera, and there's these people like in their late twenties, early thirties who are still runners and focus pullers trying to work their way up, and I was there. 
kind of 18 years old doing it. So I was treated kind of badly by most Every, people on a film set. Everybody in the world is better than me. <laughs> everybody in the world. Doesn't help that I'm talking while I'm doing this. Yeah, so it's it, you were having a lot of success at a very early age. A lot yeah, of but I, I would have all these issues with these runners who were like, you know, 28-year-old runner, and they would have to bring me drinks, and they would just – they wouldn't really listen to anything I said. Yeah, I can, I, I can see how that would happen. And nobody would take me seriously, and I'd have to – I have to end up proving people wrong all the time. It's like, you don't want to shoot it like this because this is the way this camera works. And, you know, this DOP who's like 50 would be like, yeah, all right, yeah, well, we'll see. And they wouldn't really take it seriously until, like, we ended up with bad footage. And I'd be like, right, this is how you actually do it. So I had to prove people long, wrong a lot because I was so young and I wasn't really ever listened to. And that really pissed me off a lot. So I never really liked being young, successful in the film industry because people hate me. <laughs> People in that industry hate me. Do you find the same thing on web at all? No. It's just totally, it's not think, the same thing at all. I think the web, there's a, lot of, there's a lot more younger, successful people. Well, that's interesting because I remember one of the challenges that we had is that the visa process took a very long time to get you because uh, you never went to university because you had so much early success. Yeah, uh, I, I, I went also straight from my A-levels into this film job. And so you were also, A-levels essentially grade school, right? A-levels are like uh, what you do when you're 16 to 18 at school. So like high school then Yeah. for the U.S. And then you never went to university. And so I'm going to hand this off to you. Just, I literally can't. I cannot talk and play at the same time. <laughs> this is the, the worst game to be doing this for. It probably, it probably is. It probably is. We should probably just get in and float around and play something in Forge. But um, one of the challenges that we had when we were trying to get you a visa was that we had to prove you were an artist of outstanding merit. Uh, and that is really hard to do when you're 22 years old, uh, that you don't have uh, a, a university education. And so we actually went through and got you uh, five letters of recommendation, two of which came from Emmy winners. Um, yeah. A gentleman we know by the name of Paul Marino, who uh, is an Emmy winner, um, he, he wrote you a letter of recommendation. And then somebody else from the U.K. Uh, that you knew who had won, won an Emmy. And, uh, God damn it. Yeah, you almost got it there. <laughs> Um, you know, he wrote you one as well. And so even with that, it was a very long, involved process to get you a visa. Well, the thing was... And the, the one you got is an O-1 visa. The, uh, the O-1 visa, yeah. It's basically like an individual of extraordinary ability, which is a ridiculous thing to say about yourself. And you're... Uh, but, it's a, but trying to convince people... I mean, it was, it was a cringy process. Like, I hated trying to convince people that I was so worthy of this visa and stuff. But... That game's done. By the way, Gavin finished the match there. So when the player got <laughs> remarkably better there towards the end, that was Gavin playing. I'm still, I can't believe I still wasn't even the worst person on my team. That's amazing. My job as a cameraman wasn't see, it wasn't seen as that creative because I'm always being directed. I, I used to point the camera what the director told me to. But do. it was very specialized. Yeah, and it was very specialized in a technical sense. But, uh, and that's what we could use to prove that you know this was a specialized thing that we couldn't just necessarily go out and hire somebody to do high-speed photography. The thing is, is that the immigration people required all this documentation that I just didn't have. Like they were, they said, send over all the contracts between you and the company, as in the production company, that says we want to hire you. And I didn't have any of that. Like we didn't ever do contracts. All I used to do was turn up on set and invoice yeah. them. And invoices weren't deemed a formal piece of documentation because I could have just written an invoice. And where we'd have conversations back during relocated or before where it's like, when we started talking about the visa, we said, why don't you, you know, we need to get you some level of notoriety. So we had the discussion of, of hey, why don't you just start a YouTube channel where you do slow-mo stuff yeah. on a daily or on a weekly basis yeah. and see what comes of that. And like we would, because Red versus Blue, 
we could use that to prove as an international success where it had won a bunch of awards. Awards are a big deal. Yeah. Awards are a very big the deal. The downside to that, though, is that because you were the ones hiring me, I had to have awards from other places. That's exactly right. Yeah. So we couldn't use the awards that Red vs. Blue had won uh, to get Gavin to come work on Red vs. Blue, even though he was a big part of the success of it. And everything, when it came down to it, it ended up just being so much more difficult. Like, when you look at it, at first, it's like, oh, yeah, we can get re letters of recommendation, and I have all these awesome things that I've worked on. So it's like, hey, I worked on Top Gear. And then they were like, oh, yeah, great, send us all that stuff. So I'd send them proof that I worked on Top Gear and pictures and stuff. And then they'd be like, all right, did the episode that you worked on win an award? And I'd be like, oh, no. I mean, the series has won awards, but not my specific episode. And they were like, oh, well, okay. Well, could you win some awards? Yeah, so they were like, you've got to win an award. You gotta... And the requirements for this visa were literally like win awards, be written about in national newspapers of your home country. Or appear on television. Appear on television yeah. for your accomplishments. Mm -hmm. And these are, this is just stuff that's never going to happen for being a cameraman no. on, a, on a movie. It was very rare. You, and I, did, I wasn't a member of a union, and all this stuff was working against me. So what at first seemed like something that was very doable instantly like drifted away. We started the visa process in January of 2010. I looked this up yesterday for really? our, for our uh, chats. And um, the goal was to get me in Austin to work on season eight. You wanted me to do all the machinima parts of season eight because Monty was doing all the uh, animated the animation stuff. You're like, okay, we need you to head up the machinima section of season eight. And also, we're starting this new show called Immersion that we want you to be a part of as well. So it's like, we got to get you here by April 1st. And I was like, yeah, I'm definitely up for all this stuff. I was running and gunning to start Immersion and because just, I was convinced somebody else was going to do that idea. Yeah, and we were just like trying to blast off with this thing. And uh, I, I was submitting all the stuff, and the immigration lawyers were like, oh, yeah, great, great, great. You're going to be talking, so I'll take over for a year. You're great. walking around in the hallway. <laughs> Come back and forth. Um, Go ahead. And so, so yeah, they were like, yeah, yeah. And I thought that – and we, we were really excited. It was like, wow, I might actually be able to move to America in April. And then the lawyers were like, all right, this, all this stuff's great, but it still doesn't meet any of the requirements. And I was like, well, I mean, why, why did they say that this was possible if they didn't mention this before? It seemed like they, they wanted initial information, but then there was a bunch of other information that we didn't know that we needed. And communi communication between us and the lawyers was really slow because I'd have to deal with one person, and they would send it to someone else in the office, and then it would come back to us. So every form of communication took like a week, and all this time ended up passing. We got all these let letters of recommendation, but in the end, I still just didn't have any – I just didn't meet any of the requirements. And, I, and we missed the April 1st deadline. And, oh, then, yeah. and then you were like, we got to start on this stuff. So all this stuff started without me. And I was like, oh. It's, and it's tough. You got to imagine bummer. Gab, too, being at home in the UK. He's already wants to be here and he's watching opportunities kind of yeah. disappear or pass, pass you by on the calendar. And it was, uh, I mean, it was, it was tough because originally you wanted, you wanted me to be in episodes of Immersion with Jeff. Yeah. And all of a sudden, Immersion's coming out and it's Jeff and Gus. And I was just – because when I was there, we did tests for the video Well, game I would have uh, – listen, that makes it sound like Gus was not part of the plan. Gus was uh, always yeah, part yeah. of the plan, but he probably would have been you, Gus, and Jeff. Yeah, you yeah. Know? I just wanted people who were funny to torture. Yeah. So and, – and Gus yeah, – how can you not have Gus in a science show? So I was watching Immersion come out and uh, getting more and more depressed about how I couldn't be there. And it was just – it just sucked. So um, – So we would talked about for, – for a while we had talked about could you do uh, a weekly show with your slow-mo stuff. Yeah. And then that became you, – you started Slow Mo Guys essentially because this was a way to get 
some notoriety. Yeah, it was basically you, you'd always encourage me to do it, and I'd always wanted to do it. Like I was always, I always loved the reaction when I uploaded a slow mo right. to uh, YouTube. And, and I, I, it's YouTube such a broad thing; like everybody yeah. liked it. And I, I, I did a bunch of them before slow mo guys. I did, I think, like four different videos that all got the same sort of reaction of like, "Wow, I've, look at this!" <laughs> I just got an assist, uh, like a accommodation. What's it called? Commendation. Yeah. Good lord, it's embarrassing. <laughs> So, I was I was always wanting to do the slow mo show on on YouTube. But I was literally YouTube, still YouTube like wasn't it. around, and I was using Stage Six as the, as the video Stage service, six. which isn't around anymore. Wow! So then you started Slow Mo Guys. Yeah. So I was I was basically watching myself fail at this visa. More and more time was passing. You then messaged me saying, uh, "We feel like the opportunity is passed for this this visa. We've hired two other people, and there's not really." Any room, and that was that was Marshall and Chris that you'd hired as right. like, people to help out. So there wasn't really any room for me anymore. And this was around October of um, 2010. So I, at this point, this was probably the most depressed I've ever been because like everything that I was looking forward to happening was just not happening anymore. Well, I also and felt I was, from I was, my perspective, I felt like things weren't moving fast enough. Like we weren't getting the letters of recommendation. I felt like well, I, we, we, we got them all, but it was just the, the additional stuff. We got to get off the ball on this. But you were also dealing with something where. You couldn't just keep asking people for, yeah. you know, for them to write you letters. These letters also had to be, like, stuff that I'd done with them. Like, I needed recommendations from from people, and they had to say how I helped them, you know, on different productions. And that wasn't always the case. Like, I knew Emmy Award winners, but I didn't always contribute in that way. I, I so that, that worked against me as well. So oh. I was on set one day, and I was just staring at the camera. And I was realizing that as more and more people were starting... What the fuck killed me? <laughs> As more and more people were starting to get into the high-speed industry, we were getting less work. Right. So I was having more time off. So what I was doing in my free time, I would just shoot high-speed stuff for a film library because I, I, li- I loved filming slow-mo. And I would just shoot because I hated just being sat around. So if, even if I wasn't getting paid, I thought that if I was shooting for this film library, we could make some sales and I would make some money that way. And it was then that I, I realized we had so much downtime that I could actually start doing the, the YouTube show that I always wanted to do. But that involves saving up a bunch of money <laughs> to buy a, a computer that would uh, buy a computer and a ton of hard drives. So I ended up spending about three grand, which was a lot of money for me back then, oh, on, a, on a Mac Pro and a ton of hard drives. And I shot a bunch of stuff. This was August of 2010. I shot a bunch of stuff. I probably shot like 15 episodes, of which probably five came out, honestly. But it was at the time it was called the Slow Mo Show, and in the intro it's like, hey, this is a Slow Mo Show, and uh, I guess. We're the slow-mo guys. I got my friend Dan to help me. He was my only friend who played video games. Really? Yeah. So I knew him because of a lot of... My experience with Dan early on, he was the guy we would play Halo with. Yeah. And his and mom Gore. would shut off the uh, <laughs> yeah. the router. He was like 20 years old and his mom would turn his, his router off. <laughs> She'd be like, no, you're not playing any more Halo. And she'd shut him off. So I was like, Dan, help me out with something. Uh, let's shoot a bunch of these. It might. The aim is for it to get big on YouTube and to win an award and get me written about in national newspapers and appear on TV... And also one of the requirements was command a high salary, which was weird. No, that's another thing, too. Well, yeah. you had to prove that you were someone that couldn't be hired locally in the U.S. You were so renowned that you were compensated highly and that you had won awards and all those things. It's all the things you had to prove it. Yeah. And so then you made Slow Mo Guys, and Slow Mo Guys, or Slow Mo Show, I had started, took off. I had started shooting Slow Mo Guys in August. And in October, you messaged me saying, we feel like this moment has passed. And I was just like... <sighs> 
I felt like we were like I was ramping up again. But that was like that was a downer for sure, and I was watching all the stuff happen and stuff. But when you say this, obviously this is a key thing for you. I was saying that of like we're not moving fast enough on this. Never like we're not going to do this. That's that's how it was. But like well like this is passing, so we actually fired that first lawyer from there. We did. Well, we just we basically just put it on hold, right. and that was it. And it was just nothing. There was just no progress. And I point. thought that lawyer was not moving fast enough, and the whole process was dead. And then we restarted it. Well, yeah, the, the, the way it worked out was is that I did slow-mo, guys. Well, there was, there was a period where I was just honestly, like, really depressed. Yeah. And it was between – it was after you told me that we went, we were just, like, not going to do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd already shot slow-mo, guys, but then I waited a while. I was like, there's no point, really. And then all of a sudden I was just like, – I, I uploaded the first one. And it was like, okay, and I uploaded a few more. And then I just decided it was fun. And the, the, the fact that the YouTube partnership was around, I thought, I can actually get some income off this if I'm smart about it. Just keep making these videos regularly right? and do it. So I, I, uh, I applied for partnership with YouTube. That's back when you actually had to apply and be accepted. I think I had 80,000 views at the time I applied. And they were like, yeah, go, go for it. <laughs> and uh, in May of the next year, so this is May 2011, I put that water balloon video up. And this is the video where you're in your backyard and you have a six-foot diameter water balloon and yeah. you and your brother pop it. And that video got two million views in a day. Mm-hmm. It went from a channel that usually got like 20,000 views per video to one video that got two million views in 24 hours. Yeah. And all of a sudden, emails were flooding in. It was, it was mental. I was, they were wanting to show this, this video on every TV show you could think of all around the world. I ended up doing a live interview with Australia on TV, and I was doing all this stuff. I ended up on morning bre- breakfast television in the UK as well. And I'm there, like, on set waiting to go on. I was thinking, you know, this is actually – I'm on TV talking about something that only I do. Right. I'm doing a specialized thing, and they're talking to me on, it, on TV. And it was in newspapers, and then I won a, an award on YouTube for, like, the you know upcoming channel. You won the YouTube Next Award. And it felt like from going, like, uh, January to October, failing, like, like 10 months of just not, not being able to do it. Yep. All of a sudden, I met every single requirement of this visa all at once. Instantaneously. Because of that video. Yep. It was the most viral video that I've ever done. To this day, it has, at the time of recording has 37.5 million views now. Right, and I remember there was times where, uh, for perspective, the biggest video on Rooster Teeth for YouTube views was the Angry Birds trailer, and they were neck and neck, but the Angry Birds trailer capped out at like 24 million. It did. Your thing continues to go... Like, I d- it's like it's, it's gone to viral heaven, where like, people just continue to watch it. And it, appear- it still appears lots of random places. So I ended up on TV... And, uh, the Australian I, interview was a big one, I remember. Yeah, that was, this that was, was a like, big hey, one. you're now on an international news show. Also, the uh, the morning show I went on in the UK was called Daybreak, which was also important because it's it's one of the uh, original terrestrial channels on ITV morning. Mm-hmm. It's like what everyone watches in the morning. Um, just be, it was literally seeing my name come up on the screen, uh, talking about slow motion was exactly what I needed, and right. that's exactly what happened. One of the bad things about my job originally in the film industry is that I never got credit for anything. I was never credited on a movie because often I would work one day or two days, and if you only work a couple of days on a movie, you don't get in the credits. Or your 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 uh, a lot of the commercials and music videos I did didn't have credits. So well, the like, credit that you get would be like assistant camera tech. Or yeah, something or like, like a, or just camera technician, which right. isn't really. I mean, that's what I do, but I'm also filming, so I couldn't have two credits, and they always went with a technician angle. Which didn't help me at all, because it was a technical job, but but that, it wasn't, that wasn't one of the credits that, that wasn't would deemed, qualify. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a, a, a visa for 
accomplishments in the arts and stuff, and a technical job isn't that. Right. Basically. So all of a sudden, I'm, I qualified for this visa entirely, all in one go. And you aimed me, it was May of uh, 2011, and you were like, hey, let's look at this visa thing again. Yeah. And we hired a different lawyer. And I remember going through all the same steps again. It was like, I had all my letters from the old application that we didn't file. And when, at the moment, they asked me, all right, we need you to submit newspaper cuttings and awards mm-hmm. and all this stuff. And I had all of it just right there. Just I had it all, all of a sudden. And uh, in the end, we gave, we gave all this to the immigration lawyers, and they said, all right, I think this application is ready for filing. And we were just like, Jesus. And it, the process for you, even after that, took... That's a great, great final frame. You didn't see it, but oh. that looked, <laughs> my fist in someone's face. <laughs> <laughs> I saw the blue guy in the hallway there. The, uh, so let me tell you what, the, what that looked like from my perspective. Here, you continue to play, and I'll tell you, what it, what it, from my perspective, what was going on. So yeah. you, uh, we had you do a re, uh, recreation, and then you went back. And then we were getting together all this documentation. We've got the Emmy winners and all that stuff, and yeah. we were trying to get all this other stuff going. Um, and... I had a weird thing that was going on here, which is when you talk about when you were having such success at a young age, how you were dealing with disbelief of the people there. I was here trying to get you here on a visa, and I was dealing with this really weird problem where I would talk to people internally at Rooster Teeth, like, hey, we're trying to get Gavin over on a visa. And much like when I said I wanted someone else to direct Red versus Blue, and they go, nah, you don't want that, is when I would say that we're bringing Gavin over on a visa, they would say he doesn't want to come over. And I go, really? They go, yeah, he's got a really good job. He's, like, being nice, and he doesn't want to come over. He's, he works in films, and he has a successful career, and he's doing that. Why would he want to come over here and work here? Yeah. And I was like, well, we talk about it, and he seems to really want to do it. And uh, I just realized this entire time our game audio is down. So oh. now we'll turn it back up. It's actually no levels whatsoever. It doesn't matter. No, it doesn't matter. It's all Halo. <laughs> um, just go pew, pew, pew in the background. Pew, 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 pew. Um, but the, uh, the thing about that was... When I would talk to people, they said, no, he doesn't want to come over. He's just being nice, or he doesn't actually want to want to come over to the U.S. when he's got this really successful film career. And you were showing me iMessages of when I would talk to you, even up to when we had the visa and you were coming over. Yeah. And I would, I would say to you, hey, Gav, are you sure you want to do this? And you would be like, yes, I absolutely want to do this. Yeah. And I would have to go to people in the office and go, look, he really does want to come over. He really does want to work at Rooster Teeth. And then you, you would ask me like, uh, but you, would you really though? Do you really want to? I mean, it would mean, and I was like, yeah, seriously, I do. I, it's my dream job. I've always wanted to work at Rooster Teeth. Since I was 14, I've wanted to work at Rooster Teeth. Why, why, why wouldn't anyone believe me? And um <laughs> And, ever, and then I would finish that. I would talk to people <laughs> internally. And they go, nah, nah, nah. And they were like, how quickly can you move? And I, I would say, if I got the visa, I would move tomorrow. I would go to the airport. I would do it. And people were even telling me here, they were putting this weird thing on me. They were saying, like, he feels obligated to come over now because you've been talking about it for so long, and that's why he's doing it. Yeah. And, I, and like, I was pressuring you, and I'm like, am I pressuring this kid to, like, give up a successful career and, and come to Rooster Teeth? And, and, and it, was, and it, almost, it. It, it almost ended up being – it was harder to convince people at Rooster Teeth that I wanted to work there than it was the <laughs> U.S. government. It was a weird final stage. Yeah. And then you look at it, and then you came over, uh, and you were here uh, – you came to work here, uh, and we, we had a lot of ideas for a lot of different stuff that you were going to do. Um, you were obviously going to be on the podcast because you had been on the podcast before. Yeah, dur- then, during my old, like, three-month visits I used to go on. And then you took how long of a break? 
Like, well, how many episodes were you gone from the podcast? Over 100 episodes. Over 100. It, the, the time I left was uh, October 2009, and, and I came back in 2012. And your headlight fluid bit on the <laughs> podcast was something we heard about for probably two years. That was what I was known for for a while, the even headlight fluid. after you, yeah. Even though that was a... a Dumb joke that wasn't. I mean, I was just saying the wrong thing. It wasn't even a. It wasn't even a joke I was making. You just got caught in a moment. I, just got, I said the wrong thing, and that was my thing. Now, did you try to steal stuff from everybody? <laughs> and you did, I think. I think you took it away from that guy because you got a revenge medal. But um, yeah, and so then we got you the visa. You came over, uh, and then you went to work on Achievement Hunter. Yeah. And the first, what was the first thing you worked on at Achievement Hunter? The like literally the first thing I did. Yeah. I edited Rage Quit. <laughs> And you really is that the first thing? That was the first thing I did on my first day. Michael, uh, I just met Michael, and he was like, um, I didn't really have anything to do because there wasn't as many shows back then. It was Fails of the Week. Jeff, Jack and Jeff handled all that. Yeah. And uh, Let's Plays were Michael and Jeff were just finishing up their final Saints Row Four Let's Play. Oh, so you were here for that? I was there for the final one, um, and I didn't have anything to do. So I was like, Anyone need anything done? And Michael was like, Yeah, you can edit this if you want. And then he left, <laughs> and I edited Rage Quit. It was yes. around Valentine's Day, I think. I never knew that. It's too funny. Yeah. And uh, I think that's why he liked me immediately is because, you know, Michael Michael and his rage quit. It's like, I think it's his least favorite day of the week because he's like, he has to be so energetic and it takes so much out of him. So well, he, he usually records rage quit after everyone else leaves. Yeah, well, that's the thing is that by the time he's done recording, he often has little energy left for editing and he has to stay long. It's kind of tiring. So he, I think he immediately liked me for helping him out that week in, uh, in editing rage quit. But, um... Before I arrived, there was a period where the application had been submitted to the government or whatever, and they said we, we I think you paid like a thousand dollars extra to expedite the visa to get it to get the decision made in fourteen bucks. fourteen days, yeah, instead yeah. of like what would have been months. And um, I got to say, worst fourteen days of my life. And, yeah. and it was weird because at that time. My career in the UK was picking up again. I was working on like cooler and cooler stuff. God, that don't, was when don't I was tell me that because now you're making me. No, no, no it's not bad. It's not bad. Feeling I had when people would like, say that. I was working on all these big projects because I, I worked on a lot of crap stuff, like music videos that the, the, the US government right. didn't care about. But around the time that I was applying for this visa, I ended up on Sherlock Holmes and right. Snow White and the Huntsman and Dread and all this stuff. And all this stuff is huge. I mean, not particularly. Amazing and movies. trust me, I, when this was all going on, I remember the Snow White movie in particular. I was dealing with people go, here that were saying, yeah. yeah, no, he's look, he's got a real career. You know, he's like, he's taking off over there. And the slow-mo guys thing was big then. Yeah. So now I was dealing with yeah. Every time you had some measure of success, which was quite often, I had to deal with people here telling me that, like, no, no, he doesn't, he doesn't <laughs> want to come over. And I'm paying, you know, 1500 bucks. I'm working with the lawyer every day, and I'm tearing my hair out. Because I was convinced that at some point you were going to go, like, Oh yeah, I really can't. I can't come over. <laughs> I, can't, I can't do this. So yeah, I was. Uh, everything was going well, but I was in this just phase of limbo where I didn't know what was going on in my life. And the whole thing about going to America for three months and coming back is that I would always be like adjusting to Austin life, and uh, I'd be like really happy with how everything was going. And then I have to go home to England and I have to adjust to that form of life again. Right. And that screwed with my mind. Like I couldn't. Nowhere was home, it felt like. I yeah. didn't know where I was. So, in the end, I that's why I brought you with me to go to Sweden when we went to Yeah, we went to so much at Minecraft. Yeah. That was a. Uh, but one of the hardest things to do was to adjust back and forth. So, I would, I would often be asked to go back for another 90 days, but I just wouldn't want to do it. That's right. why there was such a long gap between me being off the podcast for uh, over two years, I was gone. 
and that's because I didn't want to have to do the whole adjusting to life there. It was just too depressing to have to go back. Yeah, you're probably so protecting I was, yourself. I was like, let's do this properly. Let's do a visa and all that stuff, and it took bloody ages. So my visa was accepted in December. Well, let's let's put it in perspective here, because after all that, we started Barb's visa in August yeah. of the same year. Uh which is when we restarted yours, we started one for Barb at the same time. And basically. Barbara had a lot, a lot going for her. She's Canadian, which is the rules are a lot easier. And also, she had a degree, which made it even easier than that. So, she did all the right stuff, basically, in the past to oh. qualify a visa where I was pretty dumb about it. Well, and the thing was, is that... You heading out, babe? Okay, bye. We'll see you. Um, the, um, the thing about that was, at the same time that you were getting approved for your visa... Barb was getting approved at the same time. Yeah. And so there was this online web page that we would – it was in that 14-day window that Gab was talking about where we would refresh that page yeah. from the Department of Immigration over and over and over again. Basically, the way it works is that you file a petition. The petition gets approved, and then you apply for the visa. So we could check the status of the petition, and they said it would be 14 days. And I felt physically ill every time I went to the website. You wouldn't look. I wouldn't look. I couldn't I would do look. it. It was I too would stressful. Look would look. And I would start like wanting to throw up because it was basically the decision that was going to determine the rest of my life in my head. It was like this is this is now a point where my life could go two ways. It, it could be depression in the UK <laughs> or like working at Rooster Teeth, my dream job in the US. And it made it to the point where just refreshing this page, I would want to vomit. So I couldn't do it. I'd have you and Barbara do it. And then and Barbara got approved. They, Barbara got approved almost immediately after 14 days. I was like, okay, oh, my God. So she that, got I approved on, like, day two. Yeah. And Gavin's was just sitting there as pending, they, pending, pending. They said 14 days. I can tell you exactly the exact amount of days it took for them to approve the visa. 28. <laughs> It took double. So after the 14 days, I was like, oh, God, what's going on? And every time I would check the page, it would still say pending. And it would either well, turn... Well, I hope I was, I was telling you not to worry. I was pretty sure we had <laughs> yeah. it as a lock at that point. Well, the I... fact that... The, honestly, the fact that the lawyers wanted to submit the petition was a very good sign. It was. Because yeah. they're very good lawyers. Look, at the second team that we got was great. It went very fast as well. Like every question... The, the, in the, the first bunch of lawyers, I would ask like five questions. They would, take, they would take a week to come back to me and answer my first question. I'd be like, what about the other four questions that I answered? Yep. Like, all the communication was slow. These second set of lawyers just plowed through this. Yep. Well, and, um, we, we were not screwing around either. Yeah, That's so the first time we were like, look, this is we're going to make this thing happen. So I think we started compiling stuff in June, and we filed a petition in November. And then there was that limbo period where I wanted to vomit every single day. And eventually, I was asleep one night, and you yep. phoned me, and you said, <clears throat> I wanted to let you know your petition has been approved. Go and apply for the visa. And I was, I was freaking out. There's actually a video on my channel where I smashed mugs on a... In different frame rates. Yeah, with the different frame rates printed yeah, on the bus. Slow guys were still going well, and I was um, my my income at this point was I was getting more from slow guys than I was from my, uh, film my actual job? film job because it, it had just gone down so much. Yeah, I know. I heard all about that. And, uh, he like, doesn't want to come over now because slow guys. <laughs> I was getting a, like, like people were paying me to put their stuff in videos and stuff like that, like sponsored videos. It was good. Yeah, so basically, you called me that morning. It was probably like six in the morning, and you're like. Visas, the petition has been approved. Go and apply for the visa. And uh, I filmed that mug video that day that I found out, which was also the day I was going to the premiere of um, Sherlock Holmes, I think as well. Oh, really? Got invited to the premiere? The uh, like cast and crew screening. Yeah, that is a it's a weird thing that people don't realize one. about for movies that often the premiere the people who work on the movie don't get to go. Yeah, 
Yeah, by, by the way, very weird to watch a movie and have the movie end and have every single person watch the credits. <laughs> but that was a that was like my visa had been approved and I'm watching my name go up the screen in credits. I'm like, that would have been great months ago, honestly, when uh, I could have used that in the previous petition. But um, you know, everything came together at the same time. But that that day was like the weirdest day of my life, where I, where I was just, you know, how when you go back to an old job and everything seems small. Yes. Because you don't wear there anymore. It was like I was just looking at my life in England and all of the, the, the stress that I had there, it, everything seemed to, like, vanish. Everything went away and everything was kind of like a joke from that point. Like, I took life way less seriously and that day that I shot that mug video was that day that I found out and I was just like... I was, like, smashing mugs out in my front lawn and stuff like that, like, without a care in the world. Well, Gav, it's not often that someone at your age has these kind of huge career choices that face them like i mean a lot of people your age will go to university and will choose a job but you were already very successful at one thing and there was a good indication you were gonna, you were going to be very successful at rich teeth we we all had a feeling that was going to be the case you were always a big believer in what i would accomplish i remember i once posted a, a slow-mo video in my journal and you wrote a comment and it said long term this will be the website where young gavin free posts his work or something like that <laughs> and i was like oh, that's a nice thing to say That'll well, be the would, legacy that of Rooster Teeth. That was, yeah, that was probably like 2006. I'd so. like to go back and see that comment. Yeah. yeah. I, I can show you after this. It's Listen, pretty funny. I, I just, one of my favorite things to do over the course of Rooster Teeth has been to find really talented people that are part of the community and work with them. Going all the way back to like Luke McKay, who drew Nico. the comic. Yeah, Nico. You know, uh, in the early days, you know, Nico contacted me directly, so that was a bit of a slam dunk. Um, but, yeah, it's always been extremely rewarding, you know, even watching videos online and seeing Monty and, and yeah. Michael, you know. Um, and it's like that's really, really rewarding. And, you know, the story of, you know, you and uh, my, my probably my favorite stories at Rooster Teeth, you and Barb, yeah. of, you know, you guys grew up on the community and then became a critical part of the company. Uh, the moment you were hired, you know, it's like as soon as you guys came on board, you know, you started um, the Minecraft Let's Plays with the Achievement Hunter cast. Yeah. You, in the second episode, you created the Tower of Pimps, which became like the icon <laughs> of, you know, every show pretty much that we make for the, at Achievement Hunter. And, uh, you know, now this week it was included in the game. You know, you were part of making Griff Ball. You're part of creating Red vs. Blue, you know, the later seasons of Red vs. Blue, especially the freelancer years. Yeah. You know, and you were there at some of the early stuff. So it's like, and then, and Barb's much the same way. You know, she was there with the community early on. She helped really, as a member of the community, helped build the community into what it was and is now the yeah. head of the community. She was the most watched. Yeah, I just say, I, I, it's, I, I love that part of the job. It's been, out of everything we've been able to do at Rishi, you know, being able to, like, grow it. And there's not many groups where you can have a core group that creates something and then a second generation that comes in and is as accepted uh, yeah. as the first group. That was and, always one of the thing we were, things we were worried about is, like, it's like Generation 2, you know? Yeah, but, I mean, it's like... like Saved I, by the bell when the new kids came in. Well, you could... You it could, sucked. Anything. You look at anything, even web, other web groups that do what we do. Uh, it's much the same way. And it's like you could make the argument very easily that the second generation is as big or bigger than the first generation. I mean, in the, the potential that you guys have is limitless, it seems like, because the audience loves you guys. Everything you create... Uh, seems to hit on on every level, and I'm not just pumping sunshine up your ass. I mean, it's really Feels amazing to watch. <laughs> it is. It's really great. I mean, if you go look at something like a really well established, like Saturday Night Live, yeah, people will always go back and say, oh, the first group with like Jim Belushi and and Dan Aykroyd, like though that was the best years, you know. Even when they have people like Eddie Murphy, you know, 
and, you know, Jason Sudeikis or Adam Sandler. You know what I mean? It's like people always talk about the first group, and it's like those are hard things to do over long periods of time. And it makes me wonder here, Gavin, sitting here today, who's going to be that for you guys? I mean, assuming you stay with Rooster Teeth because you have your hopes up here and things, and things happen. But, like, if 10 years from now there's just someone that we're identifying that's out there uh, that, you know, will spot and that will bring on and, you know, that they could turn into the third generation yeah. essentially. Hopefully this company will just go on forever. Do you think about that? Like, because that's a big part of the what future. I think about all the time. No, like other people, like identifying people – who are doing cool things online and wanting to work with them. Listen, it's something you should think about because, you know, you're going to be doing this stuff a long time. Yeah. And it's like you are extraordinarily valuable to receive way beyond, like, view counts and way beyond, you know, what we're creating today. A lot of times, too, it's like when you go back and talk about Red versus Blue, if I couldn't take breaks, I would not have been able to, to make – like season six and reconstruction, yeah. write those stories, which gave Red versus Blue another five years. And those extra five years are what kind of kept an audience in place that let us start things like Achievement Hunter. And now the stuff you're doing at Achievement Hunter is allowing us to start new things like Ruby. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's, it's like, weird how productions lead to other productions. It, like, so when, when, I, when I did some season seven stuff, it gave you time to focus on. On uh, live action stuff, like that's when we were really starting to get into live action, mm-hmm. and uh, you wrote Captain Dynamic and did all that stuff, and the Roosty short style and all that stuff, and uh, you were you were given time basically to focus on stuff like that instead of Reverse Blue and immersion and immersion, yeah, exactly. And which when, and, the, and those things lead to other shows. And it's like a lot of times you can't quantify it because you know Red versus Blue, uh, we launched Achievement Hunter with a Red versus Blue PSA. Uh, but that's not really like Red versus Blue is not really related to Achievement Hunter in that sense. You know what I mean? It's more so it's like it exists, it's going strong, and we can develop something behind it. Ruby doesn't have anything to do with Achievement Hunter, but yeah. Ruby was able to develop uh, while Achievement Hunter was in place. And, and, you know, people were loving Achievement Hunter and watching it every single day of the week. Yeah. So who knows what's next? Who knows? It's really interesting. You know, and hopefully whoever it is will be a lot easier to get a visa for than you yeah. were. A lot of people ask me – I, the, the weird thing about it, actually, is that different generations of audience come in. So I imagine there's a, a massive ton of uh, – massive ton – a great amount of fans who watch Let's Play and Achievement Hunter and stuff who don't even know that I was a fan and who are just kind of recent and maybe found Roosty through Achievement Hunter and stuff like that. So they don't even know how it all started. But a lot of people ask me how I how – I, like, for advice on basically how to work at Roost Teeth. Right. And um, especially if you're from a different country, I would say get a degree would be step one. Yeah. It'll make, it'll make your life a lot easier. It's by far the dumbest thing. I, maybe not, because it worked out. But, but you it have tremendous been a, work experience. Too. Yeah, work experience also helps. And also make stuff and put it where people can see it so it gets noticed. Because you know um, getting noticed by a company is probably the best way to get into a company, right? But listen, here's another thing I want to say here is that um, – you hit at a level very early on where you were working with a guy who had a slow-mo camera that was unlike anything anyone else. I think you're trying to kill your your teammate here, bud. That's your teammate. Oh, it is? Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering why I wouldn't lock on to it. The, uh, so the level of success you had is, is really – it is lightning in a bottle, and not everyone's going to be able to do that. Nonetheless, starting off and making things – is never a wasted effort, even if it doesn't end up on Australian television or if you don't end up, you know, shooting Sherlock Holmes 2. Yeah. You know, that process for you even took seven years to get to that level, yeah. seven or eight years. 
So you have to start somewhere, and you have to start at some point. Uh, even if you're filming in the backyard with a neighbor, which is where Gavin started off, uh, you know, that's where you got to start, and you got to get going because the sooner you get started, the better off you'll be. Gavin, if you'd have waited until you were 22 to, like, start your work career like most people do – you would have to. You would have until you're 29 to get. That is absolutely true. I would have. Mi- I would have missed that window of uh, kind of slow mo, being a specialized thing. Yeah. I'd have yeah. missed that completely. It, the windows of success is is always interesting. Like just sheer timings of stuff is why stuff's usually so big. Right. It's cool. All right. Well, we spent a lot of time talking about your visa. I feel like the audience has like taken as long listening about the visas as, as it we took spent to do. Yeah, I might have to cut that down a little bit. So you're gonna have to come back some other time. We'll talk about some other stuff because you know, you know you and I have shared a lot of like philosophy of production and things like that. I'm sure a lot of people would really like to hear about you know how you got started with Achievement Hunter. Yeah. Um, you know, since that's most of the show. I guess this is more my origin. This is my origin story. Yeah. Well, I this think- is Wolverine origins, and then we'll do Wolverine. <laughs> then we'll do the Wolverine. <laughs> we'll do the Galvarine. All right, Gavin, thank you for joining us. Thank you for watching me be terrible at Halo while I tried to talk and play at the same time. You actually did pretty well, Gavin. It's actually a hard game to autopilot on. You can't autopilot. I, I, I end up just, like, running around in circles and trying to attack my teammate. While Hopefully our conversation makes sense to hey. people at least. Okay, well, Gavin, thanks. And listen, I'm glad. Cheers to you. Clink of the coffee mugs. I'm glad you came over to the U.S. I'm, I'm glad happy. I met you, and I'm glad we stuck with the process until we got you over here. It's been a hell of a journey.